and welcome to another edition of the Read More Podcast, the show that brings readers and writers together. I'm Marva Hinton. Today I'm on the phone with Ben Okri. His short story collection, Prayer for the Living, was published last fall in the UK and will be coming out in the States in February. Next month, Ben will be taking part in the first all-virtual Miami Book Fair. Ben, congratulations on the book, and thanks so much for joining us. It's a real pleasure, Marvel. Ben has written 11 novels, four short story collections, four essay collections, and four collections of poetry. He won the Booker Prize for his novel, The Famished Road, and he's received many other honors over the years. Ben was born in Mena, Nigeria and his childhood was divided between there and London, where he is today. The stories in Prayer for the Living take place all over the world, from London to the Andes to Lagos. Many of them are flash fiction. Some are written in the form that you call stoku, which we'll talk about later on. There are just so many stories in this collection, then that I know will stay with me for a long time particularly those about the terrorist acts committed by Boko Haram. There are also many stories that force you as a reader to contemplate what's real and what's not. Now, before we get into how have you been coping with the pandemic? Um, I think it's been stressful for everybody, but um, it's. I've, I've also treated it as a kind of a, uh, a call to consciousness, a kind of a wake-up call, as it were. Um, I think it's made me and many people ask kind of many questions about the world we're living in. And I think it's beginning to change people's perspective um, about about society and about how things could and should be. The world being a, a great tragedy for the for, for the human race, of which you know many politicians have handled it rather badly, and many have handled it rather well. Um, in spite of the, the tragic dimensions of it, I, I, I think it's been quite important in focusing our attention on, um, you know, what society is all about, and where we're going, and what kind of world we want to live in. And how has it affected your work? I mean, do you find yourself writing more during this time, or has it been harder for you to write and you're writing less? Um, it's been it's been uh, it's been it's been good for writing. Um, the, 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 I don't know. I mean, uh, there's one school of writing that believes that uh, uh, the more you write, the better it is uh, for the writer. I'm not I'm not sure that it's really about how much writing you actually do. Um, I think it's more. I think what's more important is the consciousness in which you write, um, how present you are, um, how free, how true. Um, I think that counts more. Um, so the pandemic has given us more time, but the question is, has it given us more consciousness? Well, for me, yes. It's, um, it's, been, it's, been, it's been quite invaluable in, from a writing point of view. Um, but worrying when I look at society. Well, before I started reading the collection, I couldn't help but notice opposite the table of contents, it says, read slowly. Why did you want readers to slow down? 
Ah, very good question, uh, Marva. Well, I, I, first of all, I think people read too quickly. And um, I'm a great believer in um, as you read, so you are. Um, you know, not only in our lives, uh, in our deeds, we are how we read. If we read too fast, it just means often that we're, we're skipping reality. We're treating it with insufficient uh, attention. Um, and um, the kind of writing I do requires attention. You really have to look at every word um, and you have to look at the, the punctuation and everything. It's not something you can slide over and read very quickly. I don't write for quick readers. And uh, the older I get, the more concentrated, the more um, refined, the, the more distilled my writing becomes, um, like music. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm conscious of trying to get people to read me the wrong way. I'm aware that people have read me the wrong way in the past. Um, and it's just a way of just helping readers to get into the right frame of mind to get the best out of what um, I'm, 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 I'm giving to them. It's like music. Um, composers have the, you know, the good fortune of being able to tell the conductor and Dante to go slow or here, presto. You know, they have this good fortune to indicate to the listener how certain passage should be played and heard. Um, we, we, do, we writers can do it in, 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 in the writing, but it's locked into the writing. And not many people, are, I don't think people are sensitive to the, to the speed instructions that's given to you in a piece of writing. Um, and I, I just want to just really just operate the way a composer does, really, and just help with the speed, help with the pace. I, th I really think we read, too, we read too fast. We miss too much. The better piece of writing is, the slower you should read it, um, I think. Many of your stories in this collection are flash fiction. They're super short. They take place over a page or two or three. You call some of these micro-stories stokus. What is a stoku, and how is it that you developed this form? Well, the, the, well, on, on a superficial level, the stoku is a cross between um, uh, the haiku and the short story. Um, but it's, it's a lot more than that. Um, for a long time, I've been, in, I've been really interested in the smallest units of, of fictionality. What is the smallest unit of, of, of story making? Uh, at what point does a set of words put together suddenly take on the flavor and the reality of a, of a story, that mysterious thing we call story? And I was, look, I was very interested in this and uh, investigated it. And the, the smaller I got into looking at this, this smallest unit of story making, the more I found myself looking at poetry, because of course poetry is a place where the greatest concentration of um, narrative often takes place, but it can take place in an image or in a phrase. And it led me to the haiku. And then I just thought to myself, what will happen if you brought the terseness of the haiku with the brevity of the shortest short story. And then I started working with this, the combination of these two forms. Um, and that's how the stoku developed. Um, but it's not just about brevity, it's also about certain, certain things that the haiku has, like, um, like the weather. Um, there's three or four of the conditions of the haiku that I've introduced into, into this form. So 
the, the stoku has to have this brevity has to be about the weather in some way not just the physical weather out there but maybe even the weather of the mind um and there has to be a, a dream there has to be a kind of a dream a dreamlike level to it um so i think that's what distinguishes it from flash fiction or from just very very short stories um i haven't done that many i've only done I've done about 15 um, of them. They're very, very, very hard to do. My, the, the book of mine in which there are the most uh, number of stokers is a book of mine called uh, The Conic Destiny. There are 13 stokers there, and it took me five years um, to distill those, those, those things. Um, and it's just a way of compressing so much into so little. Um, and for it to have that dreamlike feeling, that way in which reality... You can't tell whether reality is or what's real and what is not real to actually expand our perception, our sense of what reality is. As I mentioned earlier, these stories take place all over the world. There are also multiple stories about traveling, whether it's a group of migrants trying to reach safety on a raft a woman who makes her way to the Andes in search of an enchanted lake, or a man obsessed with visiting Byzantium, an ancient Greek city, which is now known as Istanbul. What is it about traveling that so fascinates you um, and compels you to write about it? Well, I didn't really know I was writing about traveling. Um, <laughs> I... Um, I in the way that you've mentioned it. It's just many of the stories about journeys, um, real journeys and imaginary journeys, um, impossible journeys, um, journeys toward uh, an illumination that doesn't happen in the way you expect. Um, I think the thing about journeys and about traveling uh, that that's very interesting to me and it doesn't occur in all of my stories but it certainly certainly is there um in this in this volume i can see that now you say it is uh is the is if it gives one an opportunity to investigate um uh the reasons uh why we start to ask questions about ourselves because people make journeys often to discover something, whether it's about themselves uh, or about their condition in the world, um, whether it's to escape a condition, whether it's to discover one. Um, and I am I am fascinated by this migrant discovery element of, of, of the human spirit. Um, there's a story like the story to Byzantium that you mentioned, um, is a story about the impossibility of travel. In fact, in many ways, it's a, it's a reverse travel story. Um, it's about what happens when you travel in the spirit, but not in the, in, in the body. Um, is, the, is the experience different? If you've had an experience that is uh, profound, um, what, what does it mean? Uh, what does travel mean? Is it what the body experiences, or is it what the, the mind, the heart, the, 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 the spirit? I'm interested in all these forms of the motions of the body and of the spirit through society and, and, and in contemporary history, the history of our times. Um, the migrant stories uh, are, are the most tragic 
because these are people fleeing um, difficult situations to arrive in places that they hope to be better for their families. So it says something about the difficulty of the world in which they find themselves and the hostility of the places that they're trying to get to. This, 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 um, uh, this condition that's, that, that afflicts so many of us um, on, this, on this planet today. Um, we're living in one of the greatest ages of, 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 of migrancy in the history of, of, of the human race. Um, so, so, so travel, travel gives me an opportunity to investigate, actually, to ask questions about place um, and about consciousness. There's a lot of magic in this collection. A lot of unexplained things happen. A lot of your characters are interested in mysticism. You say you're writing challenges perceptions of reality, and we definitely see that in these stories. As I was reading, sometimes I would finish a story, and I said, I need to go back and read that again. And maybe that's going into what you're saying about needing to slow down, because I felt like I was a little like, oh, I wasn't quite sure what just happened. Let me go back and read that again so that I can make sure I understood it. What is it about playing with reality and truth, making your readers ask themselves those questions? What is it you enjoy so much about that as a writer? Well, I think it's because uh, it it approximates um, life, um, actually. I think it's T.S. Eliot who said somewhere, they had the experience but missed the meaning. Um, I think it was in the four quartets. And it is so true. It's true of our lives. We we go through passages. We live through things. Things are done to us. We do things. We experience things. We think things, feel things. But we miss the meaning. Um, it eludes us. We don't have time to stop long enough to dwell on it, think about it. We don't even know how. That's that's our lives, you know. We had the experience, but missed the meaning. Um, so I'm fa- I'm fascinated by that, by the the mysterious edges of our lives that impacts on the on 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 the heart of it. Um. And and that's why that's why what you, what you call what you call magic and what you call mystery kind of plays plays a key part for me. They're not really magic and mystery. They're just um things that the consciousness experiences, um, but which the mind very rarely lets itself grasp because often it can't. Um, and how to convey that in a story is, is, is very, very difficult and also very fascinating. Um, because the thing about story, the thing about storytelling, the thing about the short stories often is its definiteness. Um, and yet, one is dealing with barely perceived things, things experienced in the, at the, in the margin of vision and the rim of, of the eye, the corner of one's eye, as it were. It just happens in flashes. These are things that really belong to poetry. They belong to enchantment. And yet, they, they are right there in the middle of our lives, almost all the time. And it takes storytellers to isolate one, one story, one moment, magnify it, 
so that we can glimpse it a little bit more. Um, and they're very, very hard to do. Um, and it's just a way of actually suggesting to the reader that we should pay attention to our lives, you know. We should pay attention to the way in which we experience our lives. Um, because we tend, to, we tend to bring to our lives a kind of a very broad um, narrative interpretation. Um, we, we, we assume that things have always a very clear and definite meaning. Um, when sometimes the meaning of things are not quite what we think, but because we have not expanded our interpret, interpretative frame, um, those things elude us. The things that elude us, elude us precisely because of the limitation of our interpretative frame, often the limitation of our attention. Um, and that's why the short story is so terrific. It can, it can concentrate your attention to look at these moments. And it can, if done really well, have the mystery there that you can't quite grasp, but that you can go over and over again to understand the ungraspability of it. And that itself is a contribution to how we perceive life. It's a, it's a, it's a circular thing. Um, I'm, I'm, fascinated by, by, I'm fascinated by life. I'm fascinated by how we live it. I'm fascinated by what we do with our minds to our experiences um, because our experience is nothing more or less than how our mind can understand them. Um, things happen to us, great things. And we, as Churchill said somewhere, you know, um, uh, someone stumbles upon a great experience and picks himself up and carries on uh, as if nothing had happened. That's us most of the time. Not just us as individuals, sometimes us as nations. You know, big things happen to us. And we don't stay long enough to examine them, to look at them, to derive meaning and understanding from them in a way that can transform our lives. That's where writing is so important. That's, that's, why, that's why fiction is. Fiction can slow you down, can fill a moment, get you to concentrate, contemplate just that little bit more when we tend to hurry through life. Now I'd like to ask you a few questions about your reading life. Do you have any, what I like to call, go-to books? And these are just books that you find yourself turning to again and again. You know, maybe you, you know, read it from cover to cover every year, or maybe it's just one that you, it's on your shelf, but you find yourself picking it up over and over again, even though you've read it many times before. Oh, what a wonderful question. Um, <laughs> yeah, there are there are books that my mind turns to often, and um, I like to reread and um, dip into, sometimes read all the way through, sometimes pick out favorite passages. Um, there are certain translations of Don Quixote that I sort of visit often. Um, and like like a great deal. Um, um, I like I like reading um, Scott Fitzgerald. I, I like I like Scott very much. Um, I tend to the Great Gatsby. I used to go back to a lot. Um, I love I love I love short stories. Um, so I, I I have anthologies of short stories from all over the world that I I, I constantly read. Um, I'm fascinated by, by those masters of the very very short stories. People can you know people can do it in one or two pages, and um, 
and, and they're still sound after 50 years. Um, I read a lot of poetry, um, a lot. I read Christopher Kigbo, the Nigerian poet, um, a lot. I go back to his office. Um, T.S. Eliot, I mentioned earlier, Yeats, um, I come back to often. Um, I read Wally Schoenker, his poems. Um, I go back to Achebe's novels. Not so much things fall apart as, as, his, as his lesser novels, like um, No Longer Eve, because um, I, know, I know the great ones so too well. Um, I love I love Le Grand Monde, a great French classic. L'étranger, um, Camus. Um, yeah, I, I, the, the, the many many. I heard to go into a list. <laughs> uh, Tar Baby, uh, Tony Morrison, one of my favorites of hers. Um, Baldwin. Uh, we love Baldwin's essays uh, a great deal. Um, no name in the street. Uh, next time, go back to him often. Rena Maria Rilke. Yeah, Derek, Derek Walcott. Um, I even like Borges's poetry. Strangely enough, um, it's not what people uh, most <laughs> speak of when they mention Borges, but I do like some of his poems. I think he found a new, a new gentle way to be poetic, um, without 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 the unnecessary heft that we sometimes associate with poetry. And I reread Hamlet a lot. I don't know why. I don't have the faintest idea. So going back to that book, that play. And many, many others. I'm, 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 I've got to say that I'm an inveterate reader. Um, you come to my stage in, in life, you find that you've pretty much read, you know, the, the things you're supposed to have read and, and a lot more. And um, the real pleasure now is in rereading. In fact, the real pleasure of reading is rereading. You know? The better, the better, the better piece of writing is. The better book is. The richer it becomes with the reading. Um, Nabokov was right. You know, rereading is where it's at. Well, Ben, you've mentioned so many authors and so many titles. If you were in a situation where you could choose only three of those to just reread for the rest of your life, which three oh would God. you choose? <laughs> that's a cruel, that's a very cruel um, imposition. Uh, my goodness. Huh. Well, Donkey Shots has got to be there. Um, you can't get away from that. For me. Uh, such a funny book uh, and a sad book. Uh, you have to get the right translation if you're not reading, if you're not reading the original. Um, Do you have two more you would add to that? Goodness. I'm just thinking of how how difficult that question this is, Marva. 
Who devised this question? Uh, I just think it's interesting. And you can say an, an anthology, too, if you want to give yourself some more variety. Yeah, can can we um, answer another question while this is knocking around the back of my head and yes. not answers by the time we're done? Yes, we'll definitely do go back to it. So many of us, you know, throughout the pandemic, we have been quarantining with our families. Uh, if you could spend this time with any writer, living or dead, who would you choose and why? <laughs> oh, my goodness. If you could choose any writer spending this time, who would you choose and why? Um, there's a there's a description that uh, Ben Johnson have of, has about Shakespeare, which is which which is which uh, has always struck me, um, and it gives the impression of a man who, in himself, did not look like much, but in his conversation. Um, was was wonderful. Um, this 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 sense. Borges had this about Shakespeare too. That there was something a little every man, a little invisible about him. The way he was able to seem to melt into different characters and different people at different times. Um, the, the strange the strange modesty, and at the same time this. Um, humor, this capacity for humor that Ben Johnson mentions about Shakespeare, I find very intriguing. And, you know, he may have been describing his ideal um, writer, human being as writer, uh, in the sense that the person is very different from the work. He may have been doing that, um, in which case um, he, he gave us um, a fascinating paradox. I like that paradox. Well, Ben, what are you reading right now? Uh, I'm reading lots of things at the moment. I'm reading Beloved. Um, not for any reason. Just I just thought it was time to look at it again. Um, I'm reading uh, Alain Recherche. Um, uh, Proust. I'm reading um, Tarabata, Master of Go. And um, I'm also reading Alex Ross's Wagnerism, Art and Politics in the Shadow of Music. Uh, as you can tell, I, I'm someone who tends to read quite a few things at the same time. Um, I see that. I, I, want, I want things. I want things that speak to different parts of my spirit. The other thing I'm reading, which is uh, was given to me by a good friend of mine, is called "My Dear Ones: One Family and the Final Solution," um, and it's by Jonathan Wittenberg, and it's about um, uh, members of his family that he lost. Uh, to the Holocaust. Um, it was just a, 
you know, questions he didn't ask his father and mother, um, which when he began to ask these questions when they were passed away, he unraveled this heartbreaking set of stories uh, of relations. I'm also reading books on paintings. Um, um, yes, too many books. And what about your own work? What are you working on right now? Huh. Um, I'm just finishing a play for hopefully, fingers crossed, uh, for the young Vic. Um, working on a, uh, a novel. Um, been going slow on that one. And every now and again, a short story shows its head, and I can't resist. Ben, did you have two more books you wanted to give me for your go-to <laughs> book? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, I think an, a definite anthology ought to be there. I think an, an anthology of, of an, an anthology of world an anthology of world poetry would be would be would be great because one, if if, if as you say one one's got to, if if all one has got to read, for forever then there has to be, um, there has to be poetry, it just has to be poetry. So Don Quixote, um, a great anthology of world poetry, and. For me, it would be a difficult, a difficult choice between um, um, between the Odyssey and Hamlet. This book of world poetry has to be world poetry, by the way, not just because I could have chosen the great anthology of English poetry, but it's unsatisfactory, unsatisfactory because there's so many great world poets, uh, poets from Africa, the West Indies. Um, Latin America. Um, I don't know. I don't even know if such an anthology exists. Um, it definitely should, though. It, it definitely should. There should be a great anthology of world poetry. If one, if we had that, that, that alone would would suffice to spend a good quantity of future time with. Well, Ben Oakry, I want to thank you so much for coming on to talk about your work. It's been a pleasure, Marvin. As I mentioned earlier, next month, Ben will be taking part in the first virtual Miami Book Fair. You can go to the fair's new website, miamibookfaironline.com, to learn more about it. You can also find out how to win a free copy of Prayer for the Living on our website, readmorepodcast.com. You can also support Ben and the show through buying the book on our site. You can follow us on Twitter at Read More Podcast and like us on Facebook. Join us again next week for another edition of the show that brings readers and writers together. Until then, I'm Marva Hinton reminding you to read more. <laughs>